I'm Bobby Shuttleworth, and this is the Everything Soccer Podcast. Talking soccer and everything else with MNUFC copywriter Steve McPherson and play-by-play announcer Callum Williams. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Everything Soccer Podcast. I'm Steve McPherson. I'm here with Cal Williams, and we have a special guest this week, MNUFC Director of Player Personnel, Amos McGee. Amos, I want to get right to the hard stuff here. Did you ever make an announcement from the top of the steps in Mocon? <laughs> wow, this is that was the question I was expecting. No. So Steve refers to our uh, probably late 70s, um, uh, cafeteria at Wesleyan University, which I think they've redone probably about four times since we went there. I think it's gone now. I don't think yeah. it's even the dining hall anymore. No. But um, no, I, I neither made an announcement nor did I tray surf down the stairs either. So. <laughs> yeah, I remained a uh, you know, a, a, an involved yet uninvolved student at Wesleyan University. Yeah, I did not. I did not tray surf. I did uh, Cal. This is so. This is like it was like a big circular building. It was sort of looked like a UFO. Okay. And there was a staircase that went down it. And anybody who stood at the top was going to make an announcement. And so everybody downstairs would start pounding on their plates. You know, they would like hit the plates with silverware until everybody quieted down. And it never got, I never got tired of, they would bring tours through. And then inevitably some parent would sort of wander to the edge of this, the, the top of the stairs. And everyone would start making this horrible racket as the, they just stood there not knowing what was going on until finally the tour guys sort of pulled them back and then everybody quieted down. So. I, I think I've seen, uh, it's just going to make me sound terribly foreign now. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> That's what we like on this show. I, I've seen this in the movies. <laughs> yes. And um, so this is a real thing then. This, this is the happens. thing that happened at Wesleyan. So Amos and I both went to Wesleyan. Okay. And uh, yeah, this this was this was a thing. This was this is how it went. So. Wow. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you guys do you, but that's um, that's very American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, but let's seriously get into it. So, okay, so Amos, I just want you to give us, for people who may not might not be familiar with you, uh, a little overview of exactly what it is you do for Minnesota United. Maybe a little background, uh, you know, your your soccer upbringing in Minnesota and uh, and all that good stuff. That's a lot to cover here. What do we have? Two hours? Three yeah. hours for this? <laughs> Once you get me talking about myself, it's, yeah. it may never end. Um, so uh, I, I, I look at my job with Minnesota United is to help uh, the sporting director and their head coach fulfill the vision of the club as it relates to, to, to players and player development. So that means um, the minutia of, of dealing with, with agents who send you players, a lot of scouting, um, setting up a scouting network. Um, it also means, <clears throat> excuse me, working with Tim Carter, the Academy director. It means working with Manny on infrastructure development that we believe will help us, uh, better serve our players and better develop players in the future. So it's a, you know, it's a reasonable catch all for, for all that you have to do to get a club, uh, we think going from uh, you know a good start to you know to be one of the top clubs in Major League Soccer, which is of course what we you know where we want to go. I know um, that the, the thing what a lot of people will find very very interesting, Amos, is how you go about finding players. You've sat next to me in the office several times now uh, over the last couple of months. You've got this little system called Y Scouts, which I know. 
certainly plays its part in you taking a look at players if you're not out personally looking at them yourself. Tell us a little bit about that system and how that helps you in your job. Well, Scout is one of many software programs or platforms that allow you to, you know, sit in your living room or in your office or at your desk and uh, watch games from all over the world. And and uh, Scout I think, is, is one of the easier um, platforms, in my opinion, to use. Um, and, uh, you know, so we'll, you know, we'll watch second division games from Hong Kong if we want, if they're <laughs> a player we think is, is, is worthy of it. But, you know, generally there's high definition video of, of basically every first division throughout Europe and South America, if, if, if in fact they exist. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the software is good enough now and the coders and the taggers are good enough that. For, for various programs that, you know, I can watch every single touch that Darwin Quintero took, um, you know, for his last five games at Club America. And, you know, I can filter through and find I actually only want to watch the touches that he took inside the 18-yard box, and I can see those. So uh, it saves you time. Um, it certainly saves you a ton of money. Um, logging air miles, we do a lot of that as well because – as much as these software companies and, and watching video does tell you a lot, it certainly doesn't tell you everything. The The video tends to be focused on the ball. You don't see a lot that goes on off the ball, the movement, the positioning, the, um, you know, a bunch of different things. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a good starting point. It's a good finishing point. But again, you know, with Minnesota, we try to make sure that we, uh, not only see every player live that we're going to sign, but also that we um, that we spend time, you know, getting to know them and, and digging into who they are as a person, not just as a player. So, um, you know, there's a lot that goes into uh, to how we pick uh, players, um, but you know, Scout is one of them. Yeah, I when I was doing the when I was covering the NBA, I remember there was a a, a thing called Synergy Sports that was it, you you could look at things like every assist from a guy, um, every you know free throw things like this, and I found that really interesting because. Um, you could much more see patterns. You could see sort of rather than having to wait for the time in between plays, I felt like it just changed the way I got to watch the game a lot. So um, is that one of the things you find with something like that, that you just, you begin to see patterns and how a guy approaches the game a little bit easier? I think it, it depends. I mean, uh, Cal will tell you that playing away from home and playing at home, particularly in South America where the altitude is so different, um, you know, there's so many different tactical systems that teams play. Uh, they set themselves up in different ways. So, you know, I, I tend to focus on, you know, on on, on the player, uh, obviously, but but more particularly, wh- you know, where is he within the system? What is he trying to do? What do I think the coach is asking of him and how is he fulfilling that? And then you have to translate that to is that fit into what you expect Adrian will ask of him? Does it fit into the players that we have on our team already? Would he be a good complement for uh, Ibsen? Would he be a good complement for 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 Quintero, Ramirez, these guys? Um, you know, and so you go that way. So in terms of patterns, um, I think you get to know a player better. But I I think the nature of our sport means it's less pro- programmatic and less mm-hmm. sort of pattern oriented, and it's more kind of 
um, you know, each, you know, each game is different and you have to find within that game, how you think that they're going to fit with your group. Yeah. To sort of follow up on that. I think we talked once before about uh, some, some of the analytical tools and things like what you, you know, you're looking for a certain, um, kind of value in terms of the, the way you can find the players and, and comparing systems can be a little bit challenging, but that some of the analytical tools can sort of help you cut through some of those differences and, and try to find guys where you think that they could, you could leverage their skills in a different way with the system that Adrian runs. Yeah. It's system oriented. It's league oriented. Um, you know, it's time of year oriented. I mean, so we spent a lot of time trying to figure out kind of an internal algorithm about how, how MLS compares to other leagues in the world. So, you know, you have the second Bundesliga, where is MLS compared to that? If there's a player who's doing really well in the second division in Germany, are they going to, does that come close to guaranteeing it's going to transfer well to MLS? And course there's no guarantee because different players different circumstances they're human beings after all not just you know video avatars right and, and <laughs> the, you know their life affects them in certain ways so there's no guarantees but you do think that certain positions in certain leagues tend to translate better to mls and then you're also looking to be somewhat cutting edge can you find a different market that isn't sort of picked over that you think is going to translate translate well to, uh, you know, to major league soccer and to Minnesota United. And so that's, that's a challenge that we're working on both, uh, subjectively, but certainly objectively with, with, uh, you know, with our sort of stats department. You've obviously been heavily involved in the player recruitment side over the last couple of weeks as well. There've been a number of different bodies that have come in. Can you talk us through that process? What, what does it take to, to get an individual from from one club to Minnesota United? How long? And I know sometimes it takes longer because of international paperwork and sometimes a, a club can, can be a little more difficult to deal with, an agent can be a little more difficult to deal with. But genuinely, how, how long does it take? What's the, what's the, the process to get a player from one club to another? Uh, I will say every player is different. So every, it's, you know, I think I was describing it to somebody as it's almost like a baby, like you birth the whole process and each one is different. Um, you know, Alexi Gomez, the deal was on and off for a month. I mean, a month before we ended up actually getting his signature on paper, I had, you know, who had, you know, I've been working at sort of the front lines of it. So I think we're, you know, we're 48 hours from getting this done. And then all of a sudden it fell apart and then it came back together and fell apart again. And so one, you have to be willing to ride the, the wave a little bit and not get frustrated and, and not sort of, you know, mortgage, you know, financially or, or time spent on a deal that's not going to get done. You have to be willing to walk away. So there's all these sort of psychological, emotional pieces that go through as you identify a player. And I'm just talking about once you've identified a player, the coaches have identified him as somebody that can help. Manny and I have, have signed off on it. And, you know, we've also made sure that, that our front office knows the implications of the deal. Once we've gotten all of that done, then to go and get the player signed can be a, an absolute roller coaster. So that's the that's the end game of it. The the buildup is, um, you know, I'll give you an example. Darwin Quintero, Manny, Adrian, and I have all known about and all followed for a couple of years mm -hmm. since he left uh, Santos and went to Club America. This is one of the best players in in you know Liga MX in Mexico. So we're well aware of it. So when 
but you know, he went for 10 million and then a year and a half ago it was 5 million and we just weren't in a position or place to do that. Um, then once we found out that maybe there was an opportunity, a small window, um, I think we had all felt really confident. So then it's almost like a crash course before your final, where you're going over as much video as you can to make sure that he is a player that you remember him being, that you thought he was. Um, you're looking at him different places, playing away from home, playing at home, playing uh, attacking midfield, playing winger. You know, when is he coming out of games? What is his production like? You know, you go through as much of that as you can. And then, um, you know, we all felt strongly enough about it that that Adrian and Manny hopped on a flight and went down to, to spend time with the guy. Um, you know, that was that. You know, so that happened very, very quickly. But we also had a base of knowledge. Had it not been someone like Darwin, I'm not sure we could have, we would have moved that quickly into that small window. Um, you know, Alexi Gomez, we had scouted a year ago, and then Adrian had seen him, and um, you know, but he, we didn't think he was available because he had gone to Atlas, and then all of a sudden he popped up and was available. Um, you know, and so then we did our homework, did more of our homework, but we had identified him live previously, and so. You know, it's a different sort of rhythm to each of these, each of these sort of scouting pieces, how we found the player, how we thought that they would fit. And then there's a completely different rhythm to how we end up getting them signed. So, so, um, I was, you know, you talked a little bit about Alexi Gomez and, and, and Darwin Quintero. Um, what about Maximiano? What was the process like, uh, for him? I know there's somebody that we're, we're, you know, he's getting into match shape and everything like that. It seems like he's getting closer all the time, but, and it's where we've yet to see him on the pitch. But, um, I know a lot of people are really interested in him, you know, and the role that he can play with the team. So, well, one, it's a, it's a, you know, a need we initially, you know, we, we had a, you know, we have a very good starting defensive midfielder on our team. Unfortunately, he's dealing with some, you know, with some head issues and some concussion symptom stuff. And so, you know, he's, he's getting his treatment. I'm talking, of course, about Sam Cronin. Um, and then, you know, so we're looking for a good young backup that, you know, would challenge Sam and, and would be a, you know, piece for us to look forward to in the future. Sam's 31, 32. So uh, again, this is, you know, how you're building your roster. There's, you're looking at it not only in, in, in guys that can start, but you're looking at, um, you know, sort of future planning and, uh, you know, and, and how you, you know, again, how you plan for the, for one year, for three years and in the future, succession planning really. And so, um, we had actually looked at a different player on his team um, and sort of poked the, uh, you know, poked around on him. And then that deal completely fell through. But as all of us had scouted Maxi on video, um, he, I uh, scouted the other player on video, Maxi kept popping up. And he actually sort of, we felt like fit more of a role of a, of a pure number six that, that would be a ball winner that was pretty good with his feet too. Um, you know, and then he had, uh, you know, nine months ago or something, he did an ACL, um, just as he was, was basically an everyday starter for one of the top clubs in Brazil. So we didn't know where he was, we found out that he was actually very interested in coming to MLS. He's, you know, he's a pretty smart kid and he has, he has some ideas about the, you know, about the world and, and, and bringing his family to the United States fit into that. And you know, which for me, <laughs> Steve, you would understand this as a Wesleyan guy. For me, that, you know, that really appeals to me. Yeah. I want to, I want to 
a kid, a want a player that, uh, you know, that's very focused on his craft, but also, you know, thinks outside the box a little bit and, 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 and wants to explore the world a little bit. So, um, I, I guess I heard that he was sort of idolized Ibsen growing up. Like he went to go see him play in, in, in Maracana and stuff like that. And so like, I guess this came out in training this week, there was a translator right. up there and was talking to him. And so it seemed like that was kind of a cool opportunity for him to, you know, get under Ibsen's wing a little bit also. Well, I mean, again, it's now anytime um, I was just in Columbia and now Minnesota United, Oh, that's a club that Darwin plays for. Sure. Okay. You're in Rio. And you say, yeah, you know, Ibsen's, oh, Ibsen's on your team. I mean, it, it, there's certain pockets where the players that we have give us instant credibility. And, you know, Ibsen's a legend in Rio and Maxi grew up in Rio and, you know, played at Fluminense since he was six or whatever he did. So of course he's gonna, he's gonna know Ibsen and, and, and have looked up to Ibsen. Um, but you know, and then when I went down to, to Rio, you know, we had identified him as a player that, you know, frankly, we wouldn't have gotten had he not hurt his knee. Um, and the only reason that they were willing to send him on loan, a player that was 24, that they thought was one of their top players prior to getting injured was because he got injured and they looked at it as, you know, I think Fluminense looked at it as well. He gets a free year of playing, um, and rehabbing and we either sell him to Minnesota or we get him back, you know, healthy and, and, and ready to go. So for them, it made sense for us. It made sense. Um, you know, we, we thought we'd be two weeks ahead of where we are with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, that's part of the nature of this business. Like it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't happen the exact way it's supposed to happen, you know, every sure. time. So <laughs> right. gotta be patient. You got to roll with it. Um, you know, I think Rass and, and Ibsen have done a, I think a really good job, um, with, you know, the occasional mistakes they are not perfect, but, uh, I think our central midfield has been a, been a decent spot a decent point for us, but I still do think we need a. Uh, you know, a pure number six, a guy who can sit in, in that little pocket in front of the back four and help protect them a little bit. And uh, I think Maxi can do that. It's interesting because uh, whilst we've been doing this uh, this podcast, Amos, Steve and I want to start the Holding Midfielder Appreciation Society. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about this. They don't get enough love. so No, they, they, they don't at all. But just while we're on the subject of, of Maximiano, uh, we saw the team uh, a couple of nights ago. Is Maximiano, and, and I know certain situations will play their part. Is he that holding number six that the team has been looking for? Because it looked like when he was playing alongside Harrison Heath, it looked like Harrison was the deeper of the two. Does that give Maximiano the opportunity to go forward or would you like to see it the other way around? What's the, the thinking there? Well, that's an Adrian question. Right. And, uh, you know, and Maxi has 100% has the, in my opinion, and I think everybody's opinion, the ability to sit in that pocket and do it. Now, when you play a double pivot the way we sometimes do, mm. um, I think, uh, you know, I think there's some, there's, there's some given some take and depending on how the game goes, you know, that game, uh, you know, was, a uh, was good for our fitness and good, but it, it didn't necessarily, I think, cause those guys to have to really sit and defend. It right. was more of a, a passing attacking, you know, ex, uh, you know, exhibition, but, but, you know, again, there was, there's not a ton of pressure. So when there is pressure and when, and Maxi is asked to, to drop into that little bit deeper role then I think he, he will. And I think he does. I agree with you. I don't think he necessarily played that. I thought it was more of a, like a, s a standard double pivot and, um, you know, and so We'll see. We'll see how he evolves as he gets fitter and how the team evolves and what Adrian and the coaching staff ask out of him. 
And so, and how different is it when you're dealing with, um, you know, the, the team just did a trade for Eric Miller. Um, how different is it dealing within MLS? Like what, then obviously there's a lot that you don't have visas and things to deal with. And um, like, what's the process behind working within MLS to get guys? You know, I, I you're more familiar with them. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, that I think there's less sort of swinging for the fences with these guys. I mean, I think you, you, you know, you look at Eric Miller and you think, you know, he's a, you know, he's a three, he could be a 300 hitter for your club for 10 years, you know, and he's, he's, uh, he's solid. He's dependable. He knows the league. There are a lot of real challenges to our league. Um, the travel, the, uh, you know, the altitude, the change in climate, um, you know, the, all of it. It's, it's just, it's a hard league for certain guys to manage in certain ways. And, you know, I think that's, there's, there's a better sense of what you're getting with a player within the league. And then you've got to figure out the trade partner and make sure that, uh, you know, you're getting good value and not, you know, not sort of leveraging, you know, or hemorrhaging, um, some of your assets because, you know, assets that you trade within the league are very valuable. So sometimes it's almost easier to go, out and 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 get a player from overseas than that it is from within the league because the players that are good within MLS are very valued. They're valuable commodities, particularly if they're domestic players, particularly if they're on a good cap number, which you know we believe Eric was all three of those. Yeah. So I mean, it must it, and it must be a little more difficult because within MLS you're competing for the same thing. So your team needs have to dovetail in a different way than you know we we're talking about with Maximiano. He's a young player but he's injured. It's like, well, we can move him to this other league where, you know, he's not competing against us, but he is training. He either comes back or he stays over there. If that's the right move within the league, obviously it's a different kind of equation, you know, like Colorado needs this, you need this. Is this going to work out? Um, are you just, are you sort of in contact a lot of the time with other teams within the league, checking in on their needs and your needs and sort of trying to see whatever, where everybody's at. For sure. And we, you know, and Manny and I, tend to try to split it up a little bit. Um, guys that I'm really close with guys that he's close with, um, guys that we, you know, talking about people in our positions, you know, our counterparts on other clubs and, um, yeah, because you never know when something will pop up and a player that you've sort of coveted for a while, all of a sudden a new coach comes in, doesn't fit in the picture or that player wants out. I mean, there's just a, a myriad of reasons why people, you know, maybe want to change the scenery. And if you've communicated well with your counterpart, then, you know, you'll be one of their first phone calls. And in fact, there are times, uh, Sam Cronin was one of them where, you know, Manny and, and his counterpart in Colorado, you know, we talked about getting Sam, you know, in a pre-seed before we, you know, right around the expansion draft of, of 2016. So, um, you know, and so when that possibility came up, he knew that we were interested and that we were motivated and, you know, they were too. So all of that is, you know, I think it's really beneficial to, you know, to, to look at your, your colleagues across the league and see them as, as, as colleagues that you can work with, not as, you know, opponents you have to compete against. Interested, Amos, you've obviously been in uh, similar positions elsewhere as well with the likes of DC United, Portland Timbers and others. You've seen a lot of players and you've been in, in North American soccer for a long time. In your opinion, who do you think is the best player that you've ever signed or at least been involved in the process of, of bring, either bringing to Major League Soccer or, or a trade within the league? 
That's a, that's a great question. I mean, I, I was heavily involved in the drafting of Darwin, uh, sorry, of Darlington Nagby in Portland. Um, you know, it was one of my sort of purviews was to, was to do a lot of the college scouting and we had identified Darlington and then, you know, I went out to see him and I communicated with Caleb Porter, the then coach at Akron. I spent a lot of time calling him and somehow trying to convince him to convince Darlington that we, sh- he should come to us, even though it was a draft pick. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, well, it worked so, out in the end for Kerry. Yeah, <laughs> I was a misguided kid back then. Um, so, you know, I, I, I quite liked him. I actually didn't have as much to do other than when they came and told me that just to take a quick look at Diego Valeri, cause we're down the path with him. Um, I was, I was quite thrilled with that. <laughs> sure. um, I was, uh, John Spencer, the old coach in, in Portland. Um, I worked quite well with, and, and he, called me from Columbia and said, I've just seen this holding midfielder, Diego Chara. You got to look at him. So I went on a Y scout and spent a couple of days and called him back in Columbia and said, you have to sign the kids. So, um, that was one. And I, you know, I still have a ton of affection for, for Darlington, uh, sorry for Diego and Darlington actually. Um, in, in DC, uh, you know, Lucho Acosta, who has had some, some, you know, some really good ex- success, we were all involved in that, uh, scouting Estudiantes, but, um, you know, certainly Ben Olsen and I, I think both fell in love with him pretty early. Um, you know, and then, uh, I would look at, at Darwin Quintero as somebody that is still in his prime as somebody that I think could end up being, you know, a real icon here in Minnesota. If he's continues to work, continues to stay healthy and, you know, and we, you know, we continue to build the group around him. I think, you know, I think he can be an exceptional player for us. So, you know, we'll see. Hopefully there's, you know, there's many more good ones out there, Cal. So I was just out in uh, Portland with the team for the for the game against the Timbers, um, which was my first time traveling to another stadium and getting to see Providence Park, which was amazing. You obviously spent, you know, you were out there, you were working out there. Um just to touch on your experience with the Timbers and with that kind of atmosphere specifically and how the Timbers army is and, you know, maybe a little bit about, you know, how it compares to here in Minnesota and, and how strong our supporters culture is. So it's funny. I, I, I was thinking about it. There was not a single game that I stood on the sidelines, you know, at Providence Park that I didn't get goosebumps during the national anthem and, you know, the TIFO, everything. I mean, it, it was always a thrill for me and it's, you know, I, I'm a I'm a coach and I'm a jaded soccer personnel guy now, but I'm still a fan. <laughs> and uh, you know, in that atmosphere, and it's it's funny. It's the same way I feel about Minnesota at the end of a win when the crowd sings Wonderwall. And so for me, I don't feel that at the beginning of games yet. I think you know, I think when we get into to Allianz Field, I think maybe I will. Um, but I, I definitely feel it at the end of games when we win, which is why I desperately want to win more games because it's a, it's a great feeling and and it's something that's organic and unique and, um, you know that that's as good as as any soccer moment I've had. Now, I, I tell people I sort of had the new garden with the Timbers Army, the sort of new revolution of supporters group, and I also had DC United with the Barra Brava and the Screaming Eagles, which was the original mm-hmm. kind of uh, rabid fan base. And the two of them were incredible. And I think, you know, I think our, our fan base here, I think, you know, the, the Dark Clouds and the Mill City Ultras and 
Uh, the rest of them, I think, are, are have the potential to be as good or better once we get into that new stadium. Because, frankly, no covering, no uh, second-level you know, seats in, uh, in TCF uh, field, but TCF Stadium, but the atmosphere is still incredible. Mm -hmm. they, they've mm -hmm. done a really good job, and I think it's actually for temporary homes. I think it's as good as anyone that anybody's had, and that's a large part to our supporters because they create an atmosphere. And uh, yeah, the sound doesn't stay uh, incubated in the way it does at Providence Park, the way it does at Old RFK, but it but it certainly is loud, and it certainly is. Um, you know, contagious and, and they drive our team on and they continue to do so more and more as more people get excited about our group. Again, uh, you know, I'm very happy we're where we are right now with TCF, but when we get into Allianz Field, I think it, you know, it accelerates times five. Yeah, Providence Park, I was really, I mean, the press box is open, you know, sort of suspended above the crowd, which is kind of unique and interesting. Mm -hmm. And I definitely felt at the beginning as the crowd got going, it sort of hit some point where I was like, wow, this is... This is, this is good, but what I thought was like 10 was only like 7 because then they took it to this other level, and it really becomes this physical sense of the sound and the weight. And it is, yeah, I just sort of had that moment of, whoa, like that's <laughs> kind of it's amazing. And, you know, they, they, they did a really good job. They they have the wood paneling on the under, you know, yeah. on the yeah. underside of the roof, and they, their addition that they put in in 2011, they also brought in the same wood and put that wood in there. Yeah. Which, um, you know, the sight lines from the street that you can look down on the field. It's an exceptional soccer stadium. It's as good as any, I think, in our, you know, in our country. Um, you know, it's funny. I, we would play these Cascadia uh, Cup games against Seattle and a couple of times 60, 65,000 in these games. And people would say that's got to be the most incredible thing. And I say, you know, playing a, a Portland Timbers, Seattle Sounders game at um, CenturyLink feels to me like what probably a group a group stage uh, Champions League game is at Old Trafford. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. It's got all these people. It, you, you, you feel like you've made it as, as a soccer, you know, as a soccer spectator, and you can really appreciate that. But playing at Providence Park in almost any game feels to me like an FA Cup second, you know, like a return <laughs> leg semifinal at, you know, at the Hawthorns. Yeah. Mean, yeah. You know, it's got a grid. It's got like a, yeah. a, you know, a feel to it that, that feels like, you know, every game is the last game. Yeah. You know, I, I miss that. Well, I miss that. And I, I think again, you know, part of it is the, is the history of the building. Part of it is the, the rivalry, the intense rivalry with Seattle and the desire Part of it's the city. The city's a little, little gritty and urban itself. Um, but I think, I think when we, you know, we get in this stadium and we get this packed and we get our team humming, and uh, you know, we bring in a Kansas City or bring in an LA Galaxy or LAFC or Atlanta United, as the case may be. <laughs> um, I think it's going to have that feel to it, and um, I, I can't wait. Yeah, as a, as a music guy, I definitely, you know, as a musician, I sort of, there's something about, you know, a really sold out, a sold out show in a big space, you know, but then there's also something about like a packed show in a little space. And I think Providence Park definitely had that 7th Street entry yes, kind of feel for, you know, it's got that yeah. sort of like punk vibe to it, the sort of, the sort of minor league ballpark thing, which is great. So, which of course it was. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Right, right. I did tell you, didn't I, on this podcast, on, on this very podcast, <laughs> when you said to me, you were coming to Portland, I said, I'm so excited yeah. for you. You. Yes, because you are going to see a true reflection of, at least in my opinion, Amos, what soccer can, 
could and will be in North America. Mm -hmm. It's just a shining example of the league, in my opinion, um, at least from an atmospheric point of view. And, you know, we we obviously went up to the Timbers training facility as well, didn't we, to watch Minnesota United train. Lovely, just gorgeous facility, you know. And and the commissioner was here, wasn't he, last week? And he he was waxing lyrical and telling us all these wonderful things about, uh, about our training facility, about Minnesota United's facility. But I just think it's par for the course now, having a, a great facility, but then also having uh, an atmosphere like the Timbers do. And I completely agree with you, Amos. And, and again, we, we've said this several times, and, and we're not just saying it because of who we work for. In my opinion, our fan base, True North Elite, Dark Clouds, Mill City Ultras, and, and all the others, once they get into Allianz Field, and they do a tremendous job now, but once they get into Allianz Field and we have that enclosed environment and everybody in unison, um, it, it's going to be something to behold. The, the one particular piece I'm looking forward to seeing is when a corner kick happens and the scarves go up and the scarves are twirled. It looks fabulous now at TCF Bank Stadium. Imagine what it would look like at Allianz Field. Yeah. Is there, people really picked it up. You know, the, the, the it, you know, it started last year and then now I remember the first game just looking down and seeing like everybody knew like get those cars up and it was like it's culture yeah it's great. It's, it, it has a great feel to it um one question i wanted to ask you amos was um you know as we've alluded to you've been in north american soccer and been involved with mls for a long time how have you seen you talked a little bit a little bit also about comparing other leagues and different sort of styles how have you seen the game in mls evolve over time with regards to you know the level of play the level of players and then also just how the game feels well, I, again, the the facilities, the infrastructure with our league is as good as any league in the world. Uh, I, I truly believe that in terms of the hotels that these guys stay at, in terms of the locker rooms, the training facilities are now, you know, on par with the best clubs in the world. So all of that is a far cry from when I played for the Tampa Bay Mutiny in 2000 and we had portable trailers in a park, which were our, <laughs> lock, which are our training facility. And wow. I'm not even joking. That's, that's, you know, that's the God's honest truth. And then we had another uh, trailer, which was a training room and another trailer, which was like a massage room. I mean, there were, these were, you know, portable trailers. So, um, and by the way, that was 45 minutes outside of Tampa. That shows you how awful that was. <laughs> wow, that's um, quite an experience. Yeah, it was quite an experience. So uh, all of that's you know completely changed, which is which is great. And with that has come better players. And you know we're now at the point. And you know I, I, again the signing of Giovinco and the signing of Miguel Almiron, on top of the signing of David Beckham. Those are the three kind of, in my opinion, the, the three big signings which have changed the course of the league a little bit. David Beckham, because he was still could have gone anywhere in the world, he chose Major League Soccer, and he really believed in Major League Soccer and, you know, put his, put his ass on the line day in and day out for that team and played well and did well and won championships. And, it, you know, it, it, but it was still kind of a retirement, you know, it still had that you you could argue that if you were a, a snob in the United States, you could certainly argue that as Cal will tell you if you're a pundit in, in you know in Britain. So then Giovinco, who was you know fringe of the national team, had fallen out a little favor at Juventus, but previous to that was one of the best players in the world. The fact that he chose to come in his prime made a massive amount. People, I think, sat up and took notice. So then all of a sudden you have guys that are saying, okay, this isn't a retirement league. This is real. And I'm going to go there, you know, in my prime. 
And then all of a sudden you have Miguel Almiron, who's best young player in South America, costs real money as a transfer fee, which Atlanta spent. They paid him real money. He's come over here and he's done incredibly well and raised his uh, value and raised his, um, you know, persona to the point where uh, Arsenal wasn't going in and bidding for him when he was in Argentina. But now, you know, he's going to get a $25, $30 million transfer if, in fact, Atlanta decides that they want to sell him. They Mm. may not. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Arthur Blank pays Matt Ryan $200 million to quarterback the Falcons. Right. He's like, I already spent 12 or whatever I spent on 20 Mm. on Miguel. Well, I'm only paying him 2.5. That's bargain. Let's right. Go. right. You know, I, who knows? But, um, and I think that, and what that also did is it, you know, we're, we're like every league, we're a little bit of a copycat league and it shifted the way that we all on the personnel departments brings us back full circle a little bit, how we start thinking about ways that we can, you know, build our squad and, and, and sort of start to maximize what we can do as an organization on the technical side. We, you know, we made a, a distinct decision that we would get Darwin, uh, you know, in his prime without the idea of a resale, but it was also too good of a piece to pass up. You know, there was a well-rumored, uh, you know, sort of dalliance or foray down into South America to try to get the best, what we thought was the best attacking midfielder, young attacking midfielder in, in South America. And that was, you know, based solely on, not based solely, but based on the, on top of what Miguel Almiron had done in, 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 uh, in Atlanta. And this idea that not only did we think this kid could come in and do really, really well in our league and really raise our team to another level, but we also thought we could keep him for a couple of years or we could sell him and, you know, make a tidy profit. So I think, I think, you know, whether you want to call it 4.0 um, MLS, I, you know, that's a little hackneyed, it's a little overdone, that stuff. But <laughs> we are at a point now where things have changed a little bit. Um, we're now players in the global transfer market where we weren't before. And, um, you know, and that's only going to continue. Yeah. It's interesting to see how also, you know, the, the, the way the league is, is never static. And as you're sort of saying that the things that happen make other things possible, just even within the league, you see the success that Almiron has. And then that changes the thinking about like, it not only changes your thinking, but changes the thinking of the people you're going out to get because they see Almiron have success and they think, well, maybe this is a good move for me in my prime, you know? 100%. So, so, yep. it, you know, it sort of changes the, the, the stuff's moving on every side. Uh, the, the thing I want to ask you about him is you talk about the success of Miguel Amaron and what he's done so far and, and how that changed the league. What about the signing of Ezekiel Barco? How has that changed the league and how does that help it moving forward? Well, I can tell you one way it's changed the league and my job is that every club in South America now thinks MLS clubs can spend $20 million. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Prices have gone up significantly since that signing. I I mean, to be fair, they went out, you know, they kind of upped their game a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think, I tend to think Miguel Almiron is exceptional. So I think Barco has a lot to live up to. To, to get there, but he's also five years younger. Sure. And so, and they spent more money on him. So in fact, what they said is, yeah, we went out and we got the best attacking midfielder in, in South America, but now we're going to go out and get the best up and coming, you know, attacking midfielder in South America. And it's unclear to me in terms of succession planning, because I think about this is, do they expect that they're going to play him, you know, wide a little bit on the periphery until they move Almiron on, then slot him in, then go out and get the next Barco. 
who probably at that point will be 14. Um, <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> I don't know how, I don't know, but obviously they're thinking about that and they have a plan and, and, uh, you know, and figure that Barco and Almiron and Villalba and these guys can, can coexist certainly, hopefully to the point of in their minds, getting them a championship and, and then they'll make those decisions when they make those decisions. But, you know, that's what they're doing and they've got the financial backing to it. And again, give them credit. They had the foresight to, to believe in this model and they got the coach and spent extra money on the coach who gave them confidence to, to, to do this model and they've done a great job. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, they're one of the teams I like to beat most, Yep. but kudos <laughs> I'm with to you them on that. that they're, uh, that they've done really well. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I think that's pretty good. We don't want to go too long here. I know we could keep you here for a long time talking about, yeah, I didn't get a chance to really tell you about all the stuff all my accolades, all my <laughs> yeah, right, right. Tell me more about the trailers in Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean. yeah, do you yeah. have any? Do you have any questions for us? Do I? Have any questions? <laughs> that's, that's where this should go. <laughs> well, Amos, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. This has been uh, a good lesson. You know, the transfer window just closed. Um, obviously, we'll have more transfer windows in the future. I don't suppose you have any tidbits on uh, you know when Ronaldo's come in or anything like yeah. that. Uh, he came in. LAFC and uh, and hung out with Zlatan. So there you go. <laughs> the other one. Here. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> the real one. The real one. Yeah, yes. right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. There. Yes. <laughs> the only Ronaldo I recognize. So. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us for the 10th Everything Soccer podcast. Uh, our next match is on Saturday, May 5th against the Vancouver Whitecaps, which is here at home in TCF Bank Stadium. Uh, be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes if you could and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. You can follow Cal at CalWilliams.com and me at Steve Entris. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you, and people can like you exactly as you are. 